We're live now, chat. Thank you. Um, okay. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this meeting of the Licensing and Environmental Health Committee. I'll just wait a moment. Andy Mahoney is just joining. I'm Doug Perry. Andy, can you both hear us? Yes, yes. Good evening to you. So wel welcome to this meeting of the Licensing and Environmental Health Committee. Um, as we start the meeting, I'd like to invite uh, any public re representations. Um, please, could you keep any comments down to not more than five minutes? Uh, but um, Andy uh, Mahoney, Mr. Mahoney, if you'd like to make a representation. Certainly. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good evening, Mr. Chairman. Good evening, uh... Um, it's obviously been very hard times and um, awkward times for everybody. Um, nobody really needs to remind you of that too much. But uh, uh, just to let you know where we are in, in things, some of the things, um, our fleet services, the, the airport division is currently now running at 17% of last year and uh, about to take another another big drop off so um the airport is not doing too well at the moment unfortunately um that being said um, schools have been good again because um because of covid quite honestly um and covid has left, left um or, or introduced lots of licensing problems as you'll obviously be aware. Um, and that's not purely with Uttlesford. Uttlesford has had its its problems. It's been one of the better councils, I will say that. Um, there are still councils not undertaking licensing and haven't done of new drivers since March, would you believe, which has just put pressure on everybody. Um, July and August are the busiest months for licensing something in excess of 450 driver renewals and um, drivers take the longest time to, uh, to license, a lot longer than that, so I'm reliably informed about vehicles. So over a 1,000 licenses need to be produced in total with, uh, with vehicles. Um, in, and that's in the busiest time for holidays. This has always been the case. Janice will uh, remember that many years ago I, I, I was saying that um, ideally um, driver's licences and um, a certain amount of vehicle licences um, would ideally be moved away from the July, August, particularly the August renewal. And this could be done without any financial implication to either party. Um, particularly where we are concerned and, and other um, schools operators are concerned that um, they actually pay the licences on behalf of the drivers. Uh, I think that um, we'll all be in agreement to move some forward and some backward. Um, those that have moved forward, if the driver leaves, they leave and um, it's, that's, that's our cost. So... <laughs> We really do need to work with you to, to, to relieve this, the, the burden and the pressure that um, uh, 
uh, everybody has been under, and, and they've been under that in July and August, July and August last year, and the year before, the year before, and that was the reason why we had mass recruitment days, was because it was um, found easier for the licensing department actually to uh, to, to come along and, and have people helping them with photocopying and, and, and everything else. Um, so that being said, I think that's, uh, that's really important. Um, this year, we were short of um, or waiting for a, a couple of hundred licences for when schools went back. Luckily enough, schools were quite spread um, and we pulled some vehicles from different areas, drivers mainly from different areas. Um, that, that we could whilst we was waiting for licences. That is not what I call giving a good service to, to our clients. Our clients are mainly the, the most vulnerable, as we know, in the country. And the sort of thing that happens, if, uh, if we're not careful, is what happened in Birmingham, whereby a special needs child was dropped off at a school. The child was non-verbal dropped off at a school for the first time ever. Wrong school, couldn't tell the school, didn't know where he was, had multiple special needs. You just imagine the anguish on the, on the child, on the school that he's at, and then on the parent, when the parent gets a phone call from the school that he should be at, saying your child's not here. Um, and that happens where... Licenses come out late. It's not just purely down to licensing, but where licenses come out late, so the right amount of training can't be given, where the mobilisation plan goes wrong because the licenses have come come out late, all that sort of thing. So it's really, really Andy, important. Andy, could you start to bring that this to a close, please? Okay, I certainly will do. Um, so having enough drivers is obviously very, very important. I'd like just to say something about door signs and on door signs I think that um, please remember when you look at door signs that we as a company and there's several others out there do not do any form of private hire we're purely contracted hire and what we wouldn't want is the public to be phoning us thinking that they can hire a vehicle um, under misperceptions because um, we don't hire vehicles and also bear in mind, if you will, that some years ago, and Janice may remember it, there was a case of a Gatwick um, driver, Gatwick, Gatwick Airport, it wasn't an airport driver, that um, had door signs on. He took a, a young lady, took her down to Cambridge, raped her for 17 hours, and it was quite a massive case, ended up on crime watch, and um, Susie Lampard Trust actually agreed at the time that maybe the door signs weren't such a good idea because it drew her attention to the fact that uh, it was a, a licensed vehicle or a taxi. Um, and some drivers are more uh, less scrupulous than, than others. Um, so um, I think it's not so much the door signs, it's the drivers. And um, we've got to be very, very careful on, on what we do. Um, thank, thank you, Mr. Neve. Um, for, for your input. If now I, we could listen to Mr Perry, do you have something that you wish to, to say to the committee? You've just gone on to mute, Mr Perry. 
That better? Can you hear me? That's better. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Sorry about that. Um, yes, I would, if you don't mind. Thank you, Mr Chairman and councillors. Good evening to you. Firstly, this epidemic that we are having to cope with has been a disaster for the trade, with many businesses going under and many drivers handing in their ticket as they cannot live on what they can earn and getting alternative employment, delivering food or parcels. We must continue to work together and consult with each other, as has been seen with the recent numeracy notes regarding the wearing of masks in taxis. I would like to say that you are discussing the statutory taxi and private high standards, including CCTV, later on. I would like to first state the trade are fully behind the protection of drivers and passengers, including children. But a lot of this has come about because of the introduction of Uber into the trade with untrained and unqualified drivers. And they are still there, mainly in South Cams and in the centre of London. However, I would like to point out the trade's vast knowledge and experience of both the standards and CCTV, and would request that consultation is considered. However, I'd like to go back a bit to Michael Perry's day that Jan would know very well, and the most controversial subject that I had to encounter as chairman of licensing at that time was his blatant use of delegated powers. The two lessons I had to learn very quickly was a balance of probabilities and honest merits. I would invite the committee to consider these at the end of the day, as it is the councillors who decide and not officers. If the committee decide to implement the delegated powers that has been suggested in the new standards, then I would suggest that it's used only in extreme circumstances and that your consultation is required and as soon as possible afterwards that the panel is then held because you are taking away the livelihood from people. Thank you, Chairman. I was given three minutes, and that's why it's rather short, so I do apologise. Okay. Thank you very much, Mr Perry. Thank you. Um, so now for the, uh, the, the two um, invited speakers, uh, speakers, if you leave the um, Zoom meeting, and join on the public uh, broadcast, please, and then we will and we will continue with our meeting. Certainly, sir. Thank you. So, first of all, <clears throat> do we have any apologies for absence or? I've not received any apologies, Chair. Okay, thank you. Any, <coughs> any declarations of interest? <coughs> no? Okay. Then, just before we move into the consideration of the minutes for previous meetings, I'd like to make a short uh, Chairman's statement. Um, and I, what I would like to say... Uh, is, is to offer our thanks on behalf of the Licensing and Environmental Health Committee to the officers of Uttlesford District Council for the excellent work that they've performed.
during the, this exceptional period. And this is excellent work, both for the licensing and for the environmental health support that has been provided. Uh, speaking specifically of the licensing department, um, the licensing department continued to operate with the reassurance of licenses at all times and was closed for the issuance of new licenses only in May and June. Full service was restored in July uh, in support of the trade and in this we are ahead of many other uh, districts and licensing authorities. I think our officers have provided exceptional uh, support to the trade and to our residents and I would like to express the thanks of this committee to them for the work that they have done in a very difficult period. And moving on from that, uh, then we, we go to uh, minutes of previous meetings. Do we approve the minutes of the previous meetings? Does anybody have any comments on any of the minutes? I'm looking for hands. Can I take that as general approval for the minutes? Okay, thank you. The next uh, point, and this comes to something that Mr. Perry was referring to, um, is the government statutory taxi and PHV standards guidance. This is a very important um, set of guidance, which has implications for Uttlesford. And I'd like to, to request that Mr. Way uh, provides us with an overview of this. Good evening, uh, Chair. Good evening, councillors. Um, so for those who haven't met me, I'm Russell Way. I'm the licensing manager appointed in January uh, from March, working from home. So um, I may have met some of you in person. I may not. Um, but uh, working for us is more at home for me than working in the office. Anyway, um, so the document you see before you uh, was introduced by the government on 21st of July. Um this year after consultation with the trade uh, and other organisations. Um, I've been through it with a what I consider a fine tooth comb. I think there's 106 action points for Uttlesford. Uh, and there are some things we need to do, which we are, which some of them we will discuss later. And there are some things which we're already doing. And it's probably too, too, too detailed to go into the weeds for this meeting. Um, the the main, main point of this document is that if the licensing authority do not accept them, accept them, uh, the, they will be required to state why the reasons they won't accept them uh, and um, put a plan in place. I do expect the Department of Transport uh, to review our plan and review our actions on, on this this these standards. Um, the standards are broken down into a number of chapters. Uh, so the first two are fairly introductory, introductory. The third is administering the licensing regime, which goes into policies, durations of policies, whistleblowing. The fourth is gathering and sharing information. Uh, one of them is the disclosure of barge service update service, which we'll hear about later. Common law police disclosure, working with the police, multi-agency safeguarding, complaints against licensees. So, um, on the whole, uh, we are very good. We are. There's a couple of areas we need to improve on. 
Uh, decision making, I think you've, Mr. Perry has already touched on that. Driving licenses, criminal checks, safeguarding awareness, county lines. Um, you'll be aware of safeguarding training, which is currently out for tender at the moment, which we hope to get a, a training provider early next year. The seventh chapter is on vehicle licensing. Again, there's some areas we need to, uh, to work on in there, but again, we're not far off where we should be. Uh, private hire operator licensing, again, there's a few changes there for us um, and enforcing the licensing regime. Uh, one of the areas there is joint authorisation enforcement officers, and we are working with our colleagues in neighbouring neighbouring uh, district councils on that. Um, there is a caveat, which I haven't put in there, which is around the CCTV. I agree with Mr Perry that needs wider consultation with the trade and with various um, community groups uh, to get some feedback on that, that important issue. Um, I think that's, that's I totally, totally agree with him on that. Uh, and that needs probably the last thing we need to do in this is, is review, or one of the things we need to do is review the CCTV, but that needs wider consultation about its impacts of passengers. Um, is there anything else you'd like me to go through with other than the top line? If I could just add a few overview points. Firstly, uh, as I think you all know, we applied, we, we implemented a new policy for the licensing department in May 2019. And that new policy is very, is, is, is well aligned with these guidelines. So Uttlesford has a very good position today. The guidelines do provide uh, new guidance and changes of emphasis in areas which will require us to update our policy. There are some points which re which will require significant consultation. Um, there are some points which um, will meet issues that were of concern to this committee uh, and will help us, I believe, in the management of some of the issues relating to specifically um, uh, the, the way in which we work with other licensing authorities in other areas because as I think you're aware many of our drivers are operating remotely and so it's important that we have a, a, a robust system of reporting if there are any issues arising um, remotely for dri our drivers or issues with drivers in our area who are licensed by other authorities. Um, I think and, and this uh, and these guidelines will help us with that, I believe. Um, I think there, there's also some good guidance here on a point that is of significant concern to all of us, which relates to county lines uh, and how um, licensed vehicles may be involved and, and or may need to be managed to ensure that we have adequate control of county lines activity. Um, and the guidelines also help us with uh, re recording where we have not issued or we've refused to issue a license to an applicant um, so that other authorities can see uh, that that has taken place. And we can also see where other authorities have not issued 
uh, licenses to a, a, an applicant who is applying in our in our area. So that's something that is all strengthened by this. There is a lot of detail in here. It will require us to modify um, our policy, and we will, I'm sure, be looking at it uh, in, in much more depth. But it is a very useful document that will help support us. Do any councillors have questions? Councillor Light? Yes, thank you, Chair. Um, I am just um, curious about the, uh, the point that was being made here about the clarity on that. So uh, on page 110 uh, on the actual um, summary and introduction. So it says that the implementation will have a financial impact. Do we have an idea of, of how much of an impact, what the impact will be, and the resultant fees and charges, which will be um, amended, I'm assuming increased here. Thank you. Let me start, and then I'll pass it over to the officers for, for um, uh, more information. We haven't, we, we haven't and we cannot calculate the entire impact for all of these elements because we have not yet determined exactly what we will implement and or how those will be implemented. However, uh, in general, the, the costs of this service are borne by the, um, the users of the service. It's not a cost that falls onto our residents. Um, so the intention is that the, the fees and licences that are charged should cover the cost of the service. Now you'll see as the last item of discussion this evening, that we are talking of the fees for 2021-22, uh, which include our initial thoughts on the implications for that period. And as we evaluate the policies and other, the, the recommendations and how they fit with our policy and what we require to change and how we will change our policy, then we will be able to make uh, further um, changes to our fees or propose further changes to our fee structure going forward. Then I'll pass it over to the officers for any further comments. Um, Councillor, for me, I do not see too, uh, envisage too many changes around finance. Um, certainly for drivers, the only uplift I think this will bring uh, is the safeguarding training uh, that the tender is out for the moment. Uh, the update service, in fact, is a reduction of the, the costs for driving as it's slightly cheaper. Uh, if they sign up to that, they're every three years. Um, so for drivers that do not uh, do not visit too, too many uh, costs, I think um, for operators, it may be more cost and time and effort around some of the safeguarding issues and the multi-agency hubs. Uh, and the safeguarding and communication with 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 licensing authorities that it may require. Um, but other than that, I don't think I can't think of any uh, silver bullet costs that are, that uh, I can see it occurring. Councillor Lachlan, you have your hand raised. Blue hand. Yes, thank you. Uh, Mr. Way, um, there's a, a, there's a couple of paragraphs here on overseas drivers. Uh, if you have somebody that has leave to remain, um, 
the asylum seeker who was able to stay, and then applied to be a taxi driver and would apply for a British licence, how could you check? And is it the job of the employer or this council to check if they had a criminal record in another country? Because I, I noticed you say a certificate of, well, there is in here, a certificate of good character. But um, if you're not a good character, you're not going to say I'm not a good character. So um, how would you uh, deal with that? So we, Councillor, thank you for the question. We currently deal with that at the moment. And we have a policy that uh, we ask the driver to go to the embassy from where they are. Uh, and they get a certificate over the last period of time. Uh, and that proves to us that they are that they are uh, they haven't got a criminal record in that uh, in that country. There is that is there are risks with that. Um, in that uh, some countries don't have um, good systems and processes to to collate um, collate criminal activity. Um, uh, within the UK, um, and there is a government website we can use if they have a right to stay. So every employee in the UK can go on the government website and check to see whether someone has the right to right to work. So it's, it's a twofold. One is is their current status to right to work in the UK, and secondly is if they've lived abroad for a period of time, then we can get that validation. That may, they may also apply to a UK citizen who has lived in a foreign country for a period of time. Um, and that's how some uh, um, criminal, British criminals get caught um, by us contacting the embassy from, from abroad. Thank you. Can I come back? Yeah. Is it possible? Can I, do you mind if I could come back? Well, uh, we have, obviously, uh, the Rehabilitation of Offenders. So, um, which, you know, if there's a hearing, then we have to uh, have to take that into account because obviously you can't hold something against somebody for the rest of their life unless it's violent or something like that. So uh, and if, if it was something in another country, how would we deal with that with, uh, as far as rehabilitation? Okay. We... Sorry, Councillor Lockler. The first point actually specifically relates to rehabilitation. Um, I, I will speak under guidance, particularly Elizabeth Smith, but um, fundamentally in our policy, we make it very clear that all convictions, no matter how old, will be taken into account. And our, our um, requirement is whether we, I, we find the applicant to be fit and proper, mm. but not defined by term to hold a license from UDC. So when we consider an application, we, we consider all uh, offences, no matter how old. Uh, and it, we do take into account the age of the offences, but uh, there is also a balance in the judgment of whether we consider that person to be fit and proper. And that is important because the primary responsibility of the licensing authority is the safety of the user. So whenever we are looking at an application, we, are, we have to ensure that we are considering the safety of the user as the primary outcome. And then I'll, I'll pass it over to the officers if they have anything they wish to add. 
No, actually, thank you. Yes, I was aware of that. I was just thinking of, in terms of uh, people coming from abroad. That was all. Yes, if I could add through the chair, um, this is a forum in which the Rehabilitation and Offenders Act does not apply. Uh, all spent convictions have to be disclosed. And under the new standards, to all intents and purposes, convictions for violence, indecency or dishonesty are an absolute bar permanently. So from our perspective, that is a great improvement. The standards also make transporting children into a regulator into a regulated activity, which again very substantially tightens up the rules. One further thing that the new standards also uh, implements is that every operator has to have a policy on employing those who are ex-reoffenders. So it specifically has a line around that. So. That's one thing we will look to work in partnership with our operators. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. I can see no further hands. Does anybody have a, any further questions on this point? Okay, thank you. So then moving on to... Uh, item four, implementation of NH3. Excuse me, Mr. Ch excuse me, Mr. Chair. We need a proposal and a seconder that we adopt these safeguards and a vote, please. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, could I have a proposal for the ad adoption of the standards? These safeguards and a vote, please. I'm sorry, I can't see anybody proposing. Uh, Councillor Barker, thank you. Councillor Barker proposing. Seconder. Councillor Freeman. All in favour? Well, I think that is unanimous. Uh, if, I'm afraid, Mr. Chetty, if we you don't mind, like, something like this, I'm afraid we have to take the register. Okay. I'm sorry, but ben. it's for the sake of sorry, ben transparency. Did. Is that your opinion? Unfortunately not, um, Miss Smith. I think if there's no dissent, we can take it that the decision is unanimous and we can proceed, unless there's any vocal dissent. And I'm looking at everybody here and I can confirm for the broadcast there is no dissent. So unanimous. Okay. We don't need... Sorry, sorry, Miss Smith. It's all right, lovely. <laughs> so, so we pass that unanimously. Thank you. So then we should move on to item four, implementation of the NR3 information sharing policy. Again, Mr. Way, if you would take us through the report, please. Thank you, Chair. So um, during lockdown, uh, we, <clears throat> the authority of our seniors at uh, Uttlesford, uh, we implemented the NR3 database. This is actually in the uh, statutory standards report. Uh, um, sharing licensing information with other licensing authorities, so it's got a specific section there. The NR3 database is a database that we can upload um, drivers who've been revoked or refused licenses uh, onto, uh, and that database is shared with all the other licensing authorities in the UK, and they can do vice versa. So any new driver now or renewal driver that uh, applied for a licence at Uttersford 
we are able to check that database to find out whether they've been revoked or uh, refused the license in another licensing authority. So that's that has been, been embedded uh, since the 29th of June. Uh, and this uh, is really for information in that we are going to add the information sharing uh, uh, section of the NR3 into our licensing um, policy. So it, it needs to be added in there so that um, any authority who comes to us, we can share that information uh, and give the, if you like, the meat on the bones as to why the driver was revoked, what they had done or what they hadn't done or what their history was, uh, so that we can share that information to them. Okay, thank you. Councillor Barker. Thank you, Chairman. Um, I, it's a bit big brotherish, I know, but it's certainly like the National Fraud Initiative. Uh, that's been running for a number of years now and recognises overpayments of pension or council tax or, or whatever it is, and has worked very well. So I think sharing information this way is uh, very sensible, and I think I'm quite happy to propose the paper and note the action. Do we have a seconder? Councillor Pepper, second. Is there any further discussion? So all in favour, please. And again, that is a unanimous vote. Thank you. So then moving on to topic number five to implement new signs and dash patches for Uttlesford vehicles. And this is one of the topics that was uh, raised by Mr. Mahoney in his initial comments. Mr. Way. I'm going to pass, I'm going to pass to Mr. Mahoney because I think you've heard enough. Okay, Mr. Mahoney, if you'd take us through this, please. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Councillors. Um, you've all had sight of the report, so I won't read it chapter and verse. I'll spare you that. Um, just a, a short overview, really. The, this, this idea came from, initially when I started in January, I was approached by the police that were doing stop and searches at Stansted Airport, uh, and they spoke to me and said they found it uh, difficult to identify the, our vehicles until the vehicle had passed them, and then they could see the plate on the back. So they asked me if there was any way of making the vehicles more visible. Uh, and that followed quite quickly by two complaints from the general public that uh, the they both complained about the standard of the, uh, the individuals driving, but were unable to identify the taxi number, just that it was an assessment vehicle. Um, so that's where this has come about. Um, I also work for other authorities that have the, the door sign, so it's not something unique to assessment. Uh, it would serve two purposes, as I've said. Uh, it would identify our vehicles uh, that operate outside of Uttersford, and I know that you're aware that we have many of those vehicles. Um, it would make enforcement, cross-border enforcement easier to identify our taxis. It would also give the public, uh, make the, our vehicles more visible to the public. Um, and with the introduction of the side panels, um, which um, my manager will display shortly to show you the size of them. There's a lovely Debbie McGee. Um, Russ, if you hold the sign up just for the doors, and we'll move on to the inside. So you'd have one of those on each of the, uh, the front doors. It would clearly identify as an assisted vehicle, and it's got the taxi number. Uh, in the centre. We can be adapted, so if you wanted different wording on it, that's not set in stone, that design. They will design it. They'll take the logo off on one side or they'll they'll make them slightly. That's, that's the one that we've looked at and that the group felt that we should displace yourselves. 
in conjunction with the door signs, um, they also do a, a larger badge that we would um, stick on the dashboard. This identifies the driver, it has his picture, um, and it serves the purpose that when somebody wants to complain about a driver and they, uh, they don't feel confident enough to ask them to display their badge, as you know, the driver often wears it around his neck. And if they're in the back of the car, they can't see the badge. They could simply look at the dashboard and that clearly gives the, the driver's name uh, and number. It also gives details of how to complain. So that, uh, somebody that did feel vulnerable and didn't want to ask the driver to reveal his badge if they couldn't see it around his neck, that would be easily visible. Um, in conjunction with that, we would uh, also like to change the plates. Um, we currently use a flexi plate on the rear of the vehicle, which has to be screwed into the bumper of the vehicle. The company that seek to do the side plates and the, uh, the large, as we call them, fat face badge on the dashboard also do a um, recyclable plate. Our current plates aren't recyclable. They're made of flexi material and they have to be um, destroyed. Um, these ones are recyclable and there's no damage to the vehicle with these plates. They simply take the number plates off bracket goes behind the number plate and the bracket goes and the goes in front of the number plate so it's secured behind the number plates so there'd be no damage to the vehicles the brackets are adjustable so they can come across uh, the bumper of the vehicles as well um, they're all hologrammed um, and if we did implement those changes there would be an increase of about 15 pounds per per year to the, the vehicle and that's all i've got to say on that Thank you, Ms. Mahoney. Do we have any questions from the councillors? Can I, sorry, Chair, can I just have one thing, uh, Steve? The statutory uh, standards make mentions two things uh, that we should, if we accept the statutory standards, it mentions two things. One is that it, uh, you need a sign inside the vehicle to complain. So this badge on the vehicle or whether it's hackney or a private hire covers that off uh, and the second thing is around safeguarding uh, and again steve uh, mentioned touched on it a little bit around the, the door signs and the, the other signs and that is again it is um it was implemented after um some of the atrocities up in uh, in rotherham they straight away went to those door signs there so we feel that's uh uh, an opportunity that the the, the, the uh, license committee to, should accept. Thank you. So, do any of the councillors have any questions relating to this? No. Uh, Councillor Lees. Yes. Uh, no, I don't have any questions, uh, if I may, Chair. Um, I'd just like to say that I do support it. I understand what Mr Mahoney said about the terrible incident in Cambridge, but I think that people recognise signs a bit better, as they said about the police. I think even the school parents and dropping off at school, it will be recognisable. And I absolutely um, am delighted with the fact that the signs are recyclable. I'm going to get in before Councillor Pepper. Thank you. <clears throat> so, yes, I, I also listened with interest to the comments of Mr Mahoney. Um, however, I also think it is valuable for everybody to be able to identify vehicles that have been licensed by Uttlesford District Council. Uh, and I think it is our responsibility as councillors to ensure that our drivers are fit and proper and that, and that the vehicles that they drive are easily identifiable. So if there is any concern issue, uh, that is quickly brought 
back to us as a licensing authority. Um, Councillor Locker. Thank you. Well, I'm going to put the cat amongst the pigeons because I do, I actually do agree with it. Uh, Mr. Mahoney about the side place. I don't have any problem with everything at anything else. Um, but I do remember that incident that he was talking about. And uh, and I know that the 24-7 signs, that you can't miss them when you go to the airport. They're, they're very visible. And as I know, I've never had a problem uh, recognising a taxi uh, or a private hire vehicle. But that might just be me. I, I, do, I do have some misgivings. Because, if it, you know, if you do have a driver that is perhaps not very honourable or, you know, dishonest or whatever, and they're going along and somebody flags them down and they may stop. And, it, it you know, because that is a visible sign. And I do have some worries. I have some concerns. I have to say so. I will be abstaining. Okay. Thank you, Councillor Lachlan. Councillor Light. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I am actually concerned about that as well, uh, because uh, one makes an assumption that, uh, you know, it would be safe, it would be, because it's licensed, etc. And I, I assume that if, if these are sort of plasticky stick-ons, they can be, um, they could be, you know, copied, they could be faked. Um, but I was wondering, I mean, I can also see the benefits for the same, for the opposite of that. Um, so I was wondering what other negatives there might be in actually requiring this. Perhaps an expert could respond. So, Mr. Way or Mr. Mahoney? Um, I'll speak, shall I, boss? Um, I can't, I can't, the only negative I can find, Councillor, would be a financial one, because there would be a slight increase uh, to but I think the, the benefits far outweigh uh, any financial costs. We can't put a, a cost on people's safety. So um, I, I'm a big advocate. I've used it before at other authorities, so we're not trail, trailblazing here. Um, and so we've got so many vehicles that are outside our area now that it's very hard to distinguish them. It's just, we're not asking for a full livery here. We're not asking to, to sort of, uh, identify our vehicles by colour and things just by simply putting a, a couple of door signs on either side. You're quite right, Councillor. There are uh, there are some vehicles that are, are easily identifiable by the, uh, the advertising of that, that, that individual company, but that's not what we wouldn't be able to um, just allow ones that don't have the advertising to use the signs. Yeah, could I just come back on that and, and, and ask here about the possibility of actually faking these signs? And it concerns me and always has done the fact that Uttersford can license. Uh, cats that are outside the district and there really is uh, as far as I can uh, judge very little control yeah. so taking and control that was my question um, I'll, I'll take the first point Councillor. they're very hard to if you saw the quality of them they're not not, not just a flimsy piece of paper there are they are high uh, high quality material um, so it would be quite hard to fake. I'm not saying it couldn't, anything could be fake, but um, it would be quite a, an arduous task to do so. They have a, they have a hologram on them, Councillor, so there is um, some form of security that uh, that a uh, fraudster would have to go, would have to work around rather than just the printing off a piece of paper. So there is there is some security on the door plates and the badge, and badges. So that is better than what we have at the moment. And, sorry, the vehicles outside of the area? 
And how far would they go? Would they? Where are they geographically? So um, they are all around the UK, all around the England. Um, yeah, Councillor Light, under the regulations, uh, we can have applicants to drive throughout England. So they could be, well, they already are, uh, there already are licensees of Ottlesford District Council driving private hire vehicles in many uh, different districts throughout England, and that is uh, that's a requirement. We are required to license them, providing we find them to be fit and proper. Okay, so could I have a proposer for this, Councillor Day, and a seconder, Councillor Lees, and then Mr. Ferguson, if you'd like to take the role, please. Thank you, Chair. So if you could just say, please, councillors, for, against, abstain. OK, Councillor Lavelle. For. Councillor Barker. For. Councillor Day. Thank you. Councillor Freeman. Oh. Councillor Isham is not here. Uh, Councillor Lees. Oh. Councillor Light. Abstain. Councillor Lachlan. Abstain. Councillor Pepper. Oh. And Councillor Taylor. Thank you, Chair. That's clearly passed. Thank you, Mr. Ferguson. So then moving on to item six, uh, that Uttlesford to mandate that all drivers sign up to the DBS update service. And again, Mr. Way, if you'd like to take us through this. Thank you, Chair. Um so, um, looking at best practice of uh, what um, councils do to ensure their drivers remain fit and proper and get information from the Home Office, um, we seek to um, consult on uh, mandating that all our drivers are signed up to the DBS update service initially. That was pre the statutory standards coming in on the 21st of July. So that consultation went out. Um, they were, the feedback was positive, including from uh, uh, Mr Mahoney at 24-7, who already does that with his drivers, uh, and Yulodda, uh, who supported that proposal. The statutory standards actually gives two options to, to manage, uh, uh, to ensure drivers are fit and proper. Uh, it, it either recommends that, uh, that all drivers, again, are mandated to sign up to the update service, or it recommends that every driver get an, gets an enhanced DBS every six months. There are some challenges with that, um, as you can appreciate, every six months. We do an enhanced DBS at the moment every three years, 
at the renewal or new stage of the application of their licence. With every, we've mandated everyone to sign up to the update service. It will take three years to uh, to roll out, uh, and then once everyone is signed up, we will get feedback from uh, the Home Office by sending it through uh, through using a, a technical solution. We will get feedback from the uh, the Home Office if a driver's uh, criminal record has changed, uh, and sometimes that is the the key um, area we can start to look at um, to see see if they are are still fit and proper or whether they've breached our policy and we need to consider other options of revocation or suspension because they may have um, committed a crime. Thank you, Mr. Wade. So we have Councillor Barker. Uh, option one seems eminently sensible to me, Chairman. Please propose it. First by Councillor Barker, seconded by Councillor Lees. Does anybody have any comments? Can I have a show of hands on whether to pass this? No. Sorry, Chair. Councillor Light wants to speak. No sorry. Councillor Light. Sorry, sorry Councillor Light. That's okay. My, my little blue hand was missed. Um, Yes, I, I just want clarification. Did I understand this right, that option one means checking every three years? Or is it, as on page 169, that you bulk check every six months? So, currently, we we only do an enhanced DBS every three years when a driver uh, oh. applies for a new licence or a renewal. With this system, the statutory standards record, well, states you should check a driver's uh, record every six months and that is because um, criminal records is instantaneous but there are other systems within the DBS system which um, may not be criminal records so um, for example uh, it may go on to a, uh, a childcare issue or an adult care issue which is in the bottom of the enhanced DBS so for example if a, uh, a driver uh, committed uh, a rape, um, but they weren't convicted at court. That may still up and still end up on the enhanced DBS, and we would get that information back. But that takes longer. So the Home Office and the statutory standards recommends a check every six months, and we'll be able to do that by obtaining all the data from uh, those who do from the enhanced from the enhanced DBS and feeding it into the Home Office. There is a gateway using that multi-system checker. Does that make it, it does. I got confused with three years. No, it does, and, and I, I agree that it is actually uh, desirable. It's a good system to have. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Are there any other questions or comments? So we have a proposal and seconder. All in favour? Please. So that is unanimous again. Thank you. Uh, moving on to item seven, exemptions for the emissions policy. And again, Mr. Way, if you'd like to take us through this. I'm going to pass, Chair, and Mr. Livermore's uh, chance. Good evening, Mr. Livermore, if you'd take us through this then, please. Thank you, Chair, and good evening to all members. Um, 
This is quite a complex matter, so I do apologise. Um, I'll try not to regurgitate too much of it. However, I will give a slight fresh uh, explanation just to assist. Um, members will be aware that the committee adopted the current licensed vehicle emissions policy. Um, the slight typing error on the report, I apologise, I should say, 20th March 2019. Um, but it came into effect the 1st of April this year. Uh, the policy requires vehicles licensed by Uttersford to meet or exceed prescribed European emission standard. The prescribed standard differs depending on the type of fuel and whether the vehicle is currently licensed by the council or is being applied for a review. Uh, within the policy, it states that each application can still be considered on its own merits. Um, now, the two uh, parts that we are uh, proposing for you are 2.2 and 2.3. I will expand slightly on 2.2. Um, you may not be overly familiar. Um, so, as I said, the policies came into effect on the 1st of April. Uh, the lockdown in the UK started just a few days earlier to that. Part of the lockdown restrictions included uh, social distancing, which, of course, is still in place to the day. Uh, it isn't possible to socially distance in a licensed vehicle, particularly uh, for a smaller force to saloon or hatchback. Uh, while licensed vehicles have been permitted to continue working during this period, we felt this was a difficult situation for our drivers, who in most cases rely upon the taxi and private hire work to earn a living, having to weigh that up with the risk of contracting the virus. There is also the extra financial burden at this time. Although that in itself shouldn't be a licensing consideration, it still gives a little extra weight to our thoughts. Uh, we therefore decided to make use of the existing caveat in the policy to allow exemptions in certain circumstances, to permit larger multi-purpose vehicles and people carriers uh, to be licensed with disregard to the emission requirement, in order to allow those who wish to purchase a larger vehicle the opportunity to do so without having to pay a higher fee that a newer vehicle comes with. Uh, that period has now expired at the end of August, the opportunity for people to do that. Uh, those vehicles, of which there were 17, as referenced in the report, uh, we're given a five-seat passenger restriction, despite potentially being able to accommodate up to eight, keeping in spirit with the social distancing motive behind allowing it. Uh, it is now, however, necessary to decide on how long those specific vehicles should be permitted to use an with licence. Uh, and that is uh, point two point, uh, sorry, point two point two, uh, and 2.3, hopefully, slightly easier to uh, understand. So, over to you. Thank you, Mr. Livermore. So, the recommendations are that. Um, uh, yes, sorry, Councillor. Um, so, um, in respect of the blurb that's for a certain number of vehicles that, as I say, will not now exceed that number of 17. Um, our suggestion for those, because they've been exempted from the policy, at this current time, they don't have any end date. Um, so obviously that's necessary to employ. Um, our suggestion is that once, well, either, uh, once the government officially announce the end of social, uh, sorry, social, uh, 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 yes. thank you, easy word to forget, um, then there'll be a six-month cut-off for those vehicles to then be replaced. 
or if we haven't reached that point by then, uh, 1st of April 2025, which would then fall in line with our second suggestion. Uh, uh, 0.2.3 is slightly different. Uh, We've considered this as a possible blanket exemption that we can introduce to the policy for wheelchair accessible vehicles. Um, As it states in the policy, these are generally quite a lot more expensive to purchase and maintain than a typical vehicle. Um, We believe that it would be uh, a good image for the council to promote uh, disability work. Um, And in doing so, we also feel it would help uh, vehicle proprietors to be able to facilitate purchasing vehicles. Uh, So our proposal would be to uh, allow wheelchairs, as I say, for a blanket exemption for a longer period of time which does, uh, to a certain degree, mimic our previous age policy. Um, so allowing it up to so April 2026. OK, thank you. So just, just to make sure that is clear, for the 17 vehicles that were licensed under this specific exemption, they, that licence would be valid for up to the shorter of six months after the end of social distancing or the 1st of April 2025 and for wheelchair accessible vehicles up till the 1st of April 2026. Is that correct? That's correct, Chair. Okay. So, Councillor Freeman. Yes, thank you, Chairman. Um, I'm always nervous about allowing exemptions on things like... um, air pollution. There's a few vehicles, I can understand it, but uh, uh, are we... One of the things that impresses me about taxes is that they're often very old vehicles anyway. Uh, And in some respects, Britain is unique in this. Uh, Some countries, they are always quite new vehicles, and old vehicles have much higher levels of emissions anyway. Poor safety standards, all sorts of things. So, um, I'm not totally uh, keen. I, I, I can understand why we, why we would do this for the wheel, wheelchair accessible vehicles, because they're expensive things and they're specially modified. Um, I'm reluctant to do it for other vehicles. I think it's a bad principle. It's just my view. Uh, just to, sorry, just to clarify, Councillor, um, this, this isn't a blanket exemption for any vehicles going forward. This was specifically for those 17 which had a specifically applied to us for exemption during the period of May to April, uh, sorry, May to August. Then there'll be that that that's that's finished now. There'll be no more that could be put under that exemption bracket. It's just we have to decide what we do with those 17 vehicles at this point. Councillor Barker. Yes, thank you, Chairman. I just wanted to give clarification on the dates. Uh, Mr Johnson decided on the first of March last year that all social distancing is it's all gone. And what we're telling is some of these people have got to plan to replace their vehicle next September. Do the officers know something I don't? Or we're all going to be socially distancing until 2025? Which means people four and a half years to plan. And the thought is quite a horrifying channel. I'm just wondering about the, the choice of 2025 as a, as a backstop date. Um, because what you're doing, you're saying to... I, I don't quite understand why so far in the future. If, if we want to remove these exemptions, then they sort of staged whatever. But the fact is that somebody could say, well, I'm going to replace mine next September because social distancing has gone in large. And somebody else is probably, well, actually, it's, it could be four and a half years down the line. And I don't get the, 
I don't get the trade-off with the dates and the end of social distancing, to be honest. Uh, the problem counts is we don't know when social distancing is going to... There has to, however, there has to be a certain point in which that just cannot go on. After 2025, you're talking about a vehicle that could be well over 10 years old. Taxis generally do a lot of miles, so we, we, we've put it there because we can't just say, um, well, it's up to you, of course, but uh, the, the concern would be if we just said whenever social distancing ends, that could be, in, well, it's unlikely, I appreciate, but, you know, you don't know how long it's going to be. So there, so there is an end date there somewhere. <coughs> Councillor Taylor. Yes, um, I share <coughs> Councillor Freeman's reservations about, from the air quality point of view, about some of these cars. Um, and they're la large cars. I understand they're sort of people carriers and things like that, I presume. Um, can you give us a feeling of... I know it's a very subjective view, but are these 17 vehicles... Um, reasonable or are the some amongst them which really should not be on the roads and you know are very old and very dirty um i have to be honest i don't have the figures of the ages in front of me right now however um all vehicles do undergo uh annual at least annual mechanical inspections with an approved garage um in fact if vehicles over a certain age will undergo two per year so if there's at any point where any vehicle isn't considered to be safe and suitable, it would be removed from service straight away. Thank you. My point really, that yes, I agree with you, but the, there is, as you know, a huge disparity between very um, modern uh, Euro 6 diesels and ones which go back to, say, sort of 2007, 2008, that sort of time which are pretty horrendous, and they will pollute for the, you know, the whole of Uttlesford, really, given half the chance. I think, uh, I think we should be um, bringing this to a vote shortly. I don't see any further hands. But the, the comment I would make is I do think there is a degree of trade-off that we have to make, because... To an extent, we are pleased that some um, organisations have come forward to bring in these vehicles, which do enable better social distancing in a period of difficulty. Uh, and, the, and therefore, there is we should consider that they are that they should be able to get a, a, a reasonable financial re reward for that, or not be financially penalised. On the other hand, we also have a very clear obligation to ensure um, uh, good air quality and that uh, the, the vehicles that we are licensing do uh, conform to appropriate emission standards. As Mr Livermore has said, all the vehicles are tested at least <coughs> annually, including on their emission standards. Um, and I think, therefore, the question for us is... Do we consider 20, 1st of April 2025 to be a reasonable cut-off date? Or do we believe that that date should be brought forward always on the basis that it is it will always be the earlier date of um, six months after the end of social distancing or the cut-off date? So do, 
Do councillors have any thoughts on perhaps an earlier cut-off date, or do we do we still consider that 2025 is the appropriate date? Councillor Day. You've gone mute to Councillor Day. Mm, I'd like to reinforce really what you said, um, Chair, that um, this has all got to be about reasonableness. Um, we mustn't look that um, all of these vehicles are owned by the larger organisations like 24-7. There are some single um, owners here. Um, and I think a five-year um, period is very reasonable. It allows then that person to save up um, money um, to exchange uh, a vehicle. As already, as Mr Livermore has uh, intimated, these vehicles are checked out annually. Um, and if there is something that is um, very badly wrong, then that would come to the forefront. So I would like to propose um, accepting um, what Mr Livermore is actually putting on the table. So I propose that, Chair. Okay, thank you. Councillor Freeman? Yeah, just thank you, Chairman. Just very briefly, I draw your attention to the bottom of page 192. Low emission electric vehicles. The Council encourages the uptake of low emission electric vehicles in the district. Um, full stop. Uh, I don't know of any uh, electric vehicles used for taxi or private hire. Uh, in the district. It's something we should in, in, encourage. I don't know of any passenger service vehicles uh, that are electric. And again, it's something which we should encourage. Uh, and low emission is something we should encourage. This um, motion which we're about to pass is actually going the other way. It's going in the wrong direction, Chairman. I just want to point that out. Okay. Thank you, Councillor Freeman. So at the moment we have Councillor Day, who has proposed the motion, uh, which would be for 1st of April 2025, or six months after the end of social distancing for the 17 vehicles um, approved, uh, licensed under the uh, exemption policy, and the 1st of April 2026 for the other vehicles. Um, are there any other proposals? In which case, I'll take this to a vote. No, uh, so is there anybody who seconds Councillor Day? Councillor Lachlan? Seconded. Okay, so Mr Ferguson, could you call the, call the vote, please? Thank you, Chair. Okay, so please uh, say for, against or abstain uh, to the motion the Chair has just put forward. Um, Councillor Lavelle. Four. Councillor Barker. Four. Councillor Day. Four. Councillor Freeman. Abstain. Councillor Isham is not here. Um, Councillor Lees has left the meeting. So Councillor Light. Abstain. Councillor Lachlan. Councillor Pepper. Abstain. And Councillor Taylor. Abstain. Okay, we have one, two, three. We have four votes for chair and four votes for abstaining. So that is carried. Right. Okay, thank you. 
So then we may move to the last topic for this evening, which is item eight, fees for drivers, hackney carriage and private hire vehicles and private hire operators. <clears throat> so, Mr. Way, who is going to take us through this? Um, Mr. Brian is, sorry, I thought you said You're on mute. Uh, you're on mute, Brian. Brian. I can't seem to unmute you, Brian. I think, sorry. there you go. Good stuff. Yep, I think it should be okay. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Yep. Right, excellent. Um, so every year we do a check that the um, income generated from the licenses is covering the costs of the licenses. So we did, we, we've done that check and that's, that's okay. Uh, the, the income is covering the costs. Um, then quite simply, all the reports that you've looked at um, thus far today they have a cost implication in terms of extra staffing or in case of the, the signage, extra equipment costs. Um, so building that into the new um, fees and charges, you see in Appendix B, I think it is, um, the, that results in the increases that you see there. Um, the report also shows the movement on the, the licensing reserve. So the licensing reserve was set up to account for the timing differences between income and costs, excuse me, because the driver license and the operator licenses operate over a period of a number of years, um, whereas the income is received in one single year. So um, effectively, I think that covers the whole of the finance reports. If there are any questions. Thank you, Councillor Barker. Do you have a question? Chairman, there seems to be a bit of a disparity about the percentage increases. I'd, I'd just like to ask why, if the additional cost is 2% extra, why we haven't applied 2% across the board, where some of the fees have gone up far more than 2%. I mean, you know, normally when you do fees and charges, you say parking charges, we'll put them up 5% or 3%. So I don't why the disparity between the various cost figures. And essentially, because of the requirements of these new standards, they affect the licences in different ways. So we plan to recruit 1.5 extra FTEs. Um, now, their, their time will be spent um, in different proportions over the, the various types of licences. So that results in a different percentage increase over the different licenses license groupings. Um, so, um, for example... We, in one particular area, we are going to recruit one um, individual to undertake more compliance checks. So we believe that 90% of their time will be spent on operators and 10% on vehicles. Um, sorry, the other way around. 10% um, on operators and 90% on vehicles. Now, because of the number of operator licenses and the number of vehicle licenses, it, it does result in a different percentage increase. You might also be referring to the fact that the uh, renewal and the new licenses are going to increase by the same percentage. Uh, in this fee review, what we've noticed, what uh, Russell's team has noticed, is excuse me, that uh, the, the timings are roughly the same between issuing a new license and issuing a renewal license. So um, 
that's why you see that the, the new and the renewal licenses are effectively the same. Does that answer the question or does that muddy the water somewhat? Explains a bit, Joe. I, I thought I thought that was quite a clear, a clear answer. Thank you. Do we have any further questions? Okay. So in that case, could I have somebody who propose the um, uh, put uh, the adoption of these new fees? Sorry. Uh, Chair, if I can just jump in, is at, at this stage we're proposing that the fees are put out for consultation before we adopt them, because obviously the trade haven't had a chance to sort of have their input yet. Okay, sorry. Okay. Thank you. So this is for noting um, that we will put these fees out for adoption. Okay, thank you. Okay, so that brings our meeting to a close. Are there any further points that anybody wishes to raise at this time? Okay, thank you all very much for your participation, and we will close the meeting at uh, 8.16. Thank you, Kevin. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Extremely good, Mr Chair. Well, um, that's uh, an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> thank you, Elizabeth. Yes, we I was very... Yes, it, it, sort, it was sort of a tradition. This, this meeting's always timed. Okay. <laughs>